Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be for our sermon today. We're going to read from verses 1 through 13 from God's Word. This is the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them. And his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we praise you for your word and how it reveals who you are to us. Lord, we thank you as we read of the transfiguration, what it reveals about the glory of Jesus. And we pray today as we gather in this place that we might get a glimpse, even if it's just a small glimpse, we long for a glimpse of the glory of Jesus in the midst of our lives. Lord, we so often think that we need this or that, But what we need most is to see Jesus for who he is. And so, Father, we pray that as we spend time looking on you and your word, that we would get a a clearer picture and that we would be changed. Father, we pray that we would grasp your greatness today. Lord, as we gather in this place, we want to pray for other churches who are gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping. Jesus around the world, even today, we recognize, Father, that the faith once for all delivered to the saints is not just for us here at Safe Harbor, that you are doing a work around the world in many peoples, in many nations, for all time. So this morning, we want to pray for Central Church here in Scott County, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified in their gathering, that Jesus would be lifted high and people might be drawn to you. 
We pray for Staten Island Arabic Bible Church that we partner with in New York City as they seek to minister to Arabic people coming from Muslim backgrounds, many of them. And we pray that they would continue to be a gospel light in that nation that you would provide for them as they are planting this church and uh, trying to get established in that community. And we pray that you would just bless the work of their hands. We pray for the churches of the nation of Germany and for the whole country of Germany this morning. We pray that uh, the, the work that was started hundreds of years ago in the Reformation through Martin Luther would continue to, to grow and expand. Lord, we know that many in Germany have abandoned the faith and walked away from you. And we pray that you would do a new work there in that country, even today. And so, Father, now we come to you and look to you and your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated, and if the kids would like to go downstairs to their classes, they can follow teachers uh, out the back door and down the steps, or you're welcome to stay in here with us and to continue to worship with us. And if you have your Bibles, leave them open to Mark chapter 9 as we like to work our way through God's Word uh, in our time together. Kind of shifting gears, we've been in the book of Joel. And now we're going to move to the Gospel of Mark. You know, being at the top of a mountain is a glorious experience. Have any of you all ever been to the top of a mountain? There's not a lot of mountains around here, obviously. Uh, But we do have some in the United States of America uh, when I was in college, I had the, uh, the opportunity, I was a little more adventurous back in that day. I could be a little more adventurous. Got a few more responsibilities now than I used to have. But uh, when I was in college, uh, a, a handful of my friends and I were able to go to uh, Colorado for a few days. And uh, it's just a beautiful country out there. Uh, and I know we have some people who have been there, some people who've lived there. Uh, one of the first things we did after we slept after uh, driving through the night, because, again, we were college students and adventurous. Uh, after getting adjusted to the, the elevation change, we decided to hike up a mountain. And uh, we started climbing and going up the trail, wooded, kind of a wooded area. And then eventually we got above the woods, above the tree line, because the elevation's so high, nothing could grow, and it's kind of just all rocks, and it gets steeper, and you're kind of climbing and stopping and catching your breath and drinking water and trying to crawl or whatever you can do to keep going. But then when you get to the top, it is all worth it. Because you look out, I think we were at like 9,500 feet above sea level or something like that. You look out and you could just see for miles and the sun's shining down and it's just beautiful, glorious, stunning. Well, we look at the book of Mark and we see that the Bible gives an account of an even more glorious experience on the top of a mountain. The disciples in this account see Jesus, the person of Jesus, in his full glory. So much more glorious than any scenery could be on top of this mountain. And seeing him there changed them forever. It changed them. And they would not be the same. 
As we consider what they saw, and as we read this together, we need to realize, for us, even today, a glimpse of the glory of Jesus compels us to seek more of Him, to seek more of the fullness of who He is. If we have glimpsed who Jesus really is, we will be compelled to not stay where we are. So just right off the bat, I just want to ask you, have you seen Jesus like that? Have you seen Jesus in such a way that you are compelled to look more into who this Jesus is and to not settle for what you know about him? Is that what your life looks like? Is that what you think about? So we are in a new series in Mark 9 and 10, really looking at clarity that Jesus gives us about what a disciple is. And today we see a a marker of a disciple. And we see that a disciple is someone who has caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus and that has moved them to want to follow him. All right, a disciple is essentially a follower. Someone who is following someone else. And we see that right away, a a disciple is someone who wants to follow Jesus because they've seen his glory in some degree. What happened to the disciples? Well, they caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory on this mount. And we call it the, the transfiguration. Transfiguration was a key event in Jesus' ministry, not just because of what had happened. I mean, that in and of itself would be unbelievable. I mean, we can't even imagine what that would be like. But more, it's a key event because it shows us who Jesus really is. And that's what I want us to stop and consider. In light of who Jesus is, what does God call us to do? What do we do? I think think we see three things here in this passage that the disciples did, that God called the disciples to do, and that he calls us to do in light of the glory of who Jesus is. First thing we see that we are called to do is to look. To look. Verses 1 through 4 calls to look at the glory of Jesus. It's something compelling. It's something we need. But also realizing as we look on who Jesus is, this is a glory that we will share in one day, forever. Look on Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider who Jesus really is? Think for a moment. What comes to your mind? when you hear of this person named Jesus. Maybe you've never been in church and you don't really know who Jesus is. Well, we today we have the privilege of getting a a picture of who Jesus is from the Word of God. Maybe some of you all have been taught different things over the years, but maybe your picture of Jesus is incomplete. Well, we left off last spring in the book of Mark, and we saw Jesus demonstrating who he was to the disciples and the crowds that were following him around. He was going around healing people, showing his power and his might so that others might be drawn to him and listen to what he was saying and teaching. And we saw uh, that Peter ends up coming to this point where he confesses, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And then Jesus shifts from that confession that Peter made, and he tells this crowd, okay, this is who I am, but there's a cost if you're going to follow me. And he goes into what that cost is. He tells them that they would have to deny themselves and give up their own desires to follow him, that they would have to take up a cross and bear suffering for him, that they would have to even lose their life for his sake. And I just want to be clear, like the Christian life may look uh, easy or nice or appealing, but Jesus was clear from the beginning, it costs us something. It costs laying aside our own desires in order to follow Jesus. It costs giving up our own sinful temptations and the, the things our sinful flesh wants in order to, to live God's way because Jesus, we believe, is worth following because we can't do it ourselves and we fail. But Jesus is God, and we want to follow him. And then he says to them, after telling them this cost, it's almost like, well, everybody would just give up at that point, wouldn't they? I don't want to do all these things to follow this guy, Jesus. Who would want to do that? Well, that's where we come to today. That Jesus, in giving up all these things and suffering or giving up our own desires to follow this man, would be worth it. And that's what I want us to consider is following Jesus worth it? In verse 1, we see he tells them, it says, He said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Now they, at this point, were probably wondering, what does he mean by this? And he's trying to just give them a, a picture of, hey, I know it's costly to follow me but it will be worth it. So then we see six days after he says this passes. And that's when we see, come to our passage today, Jesus ascending a mountain with his closest circle of disciples. Peter, James, and John were those who were kind of the inner circle of the disciples with Jesus. John himself, when he writes the Gospel of John, refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. Right, And, and so he, he goes up this mountain with his closest friends, his closest followers, and we read this in verse 2. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling. Picture this in your mind, Jesus on a mountain, transfigured, glowing, white. His, his clothes become dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared, Moses appeared, and they were talking with Jesus. This is unbelievable. This doesn't happen every day. I would dare say none of us in this room have seen this. At some point, we need to realize in the lives of the disciples, it would not always be easy to follow Jesus, to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And they're still sorting through this at this point in their life. They're trying to figure out who this Jesus really is, right? Because he doesn't look like the Son of God, if we're being honest. Jesus looks like an average, ordinary, Middle Eastern man. The Bible says in the Old Testament that Jesus had no form or appearance that men should desire him. That he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Outwardly, at least, he didn't look like what they might have thought the Son of God would look like on a day-to-day -day basis. He looked like an average person, nothing spectacular. 
But here, in a moment, a unique moment, he's transformed from that average, ordinary person like you and me that nobody would want to give their life for into glory. And he's with Elijah and Moses. And if you know anything about the Bible, Elijah was perhaps the most revered prophet in the nation of Israel's history. Didn't even die. He was just taken up into heaven. Moses, perhaps the most respected uh, leader of God's people. God gave him the Ten Commandments. The people followed him as one who represented God. And so they are there with Jesus, and it says that Jesus' clothes are white and beaming. This was an otherworldly experience. It's almost like a dream. What is happening here? Am I imagining things? This is what was happening. The truth about who Jesus really was was being made clear. They didn't have to question or doubt or wonder, is this man over here, this average man, the Son of God? They get to see it. Moses, we are told in the Old Testament, he went up a mountain in his day, and he got to get a glimpse of the back of God as God passed by. He couldn't look on him face to face. And when Moses came down that mountain, if you've read the story in Exodus, he was shining. He had to wear a veil, actually, because he was beaming so much. And uh, what we see there is amazing. But what Moses had it was just a reflected glory. It wasn't actual glory. It was just reflection of what he had seen of God. Here we see, now they're seeing the fullness of God's glory right in front of them. It's purity and holiness, perfection all at once. And this is who Jesus had been before creation. It wasn't just the man in front of them. This is Jesus from before creation. The Bible tells us he left his glory to come in the form of a man. This is who Jesus really was. But for a moment, these disciples got to see the fullness of it. And it was astonishing, and their faith became sight. So what does God look like, we might ask ourselves? Well, he looks like Jesus. Jesus, the Bible tells us, Colossians 1, is the image of the invisible God. He is a reflection of who God is that we might see with our visible eyes. That's why he came to earth as a man. He lived the perfect life that none of us in this room could ever live. He is the image of the invisible God lived out in human form. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, Hebrews 1.3. Everything of, of who God is, Jesus is. His nature. And here we see Jesus is the glory of God revealed. Now, most days, Jesus had to be accepted by faith to those who were with him. This was a different day. They got to see it. And he was showing them the truth until their faith was sight forever, and it would give them the strength to have a faith that endures until that day. And here, in that place, 
is where you and I find ourselves. Now, we aren't on top of the mountain looking at the glory of Jesus physically. But we are here today. And we have the privilege of looking at, with our minds, the glory of Jesus. Because what we are reading here is meant to show us the glory of who Jesus is today, right now, in our lives. God has given us glimpses of his glory every time we pick up and read about him. We get to see a picture of who God is. And he calls us to respond with those glimpses, those pictures, the truth of who God is with an enduring faith until our faith is sight. That's the essence of what Christianity is all about. An enduring faith that holds to a a real picture of the real Jesus, the God who came for us until we see him and are with him. And we've seen that revealed through his word. This is why Christians believe the Bible. We believe it is God's revelation, his revealing of himself to us so that we might have faith. We might have hope in him. We've seen glimpses of God's glory as we see Jesus leaving heaven to come for us. Did you realize today, you may not have ever heard this, Jesus came to earth because of your need. Think about that. That is how much God cares for you. Jesus came to earth for your need. He left the glory of heaven because he saw that you had sin and were separated from God. We see the glory of God in that. We see the glory of God in his sovereign power in miracles. That Jesus has the power to heal. And there's glory in that. We've seen God's glory in his love for sinners, giving up his life for those who could not make their way back to God themselves. That's all of us. To redeem us and bring forgiveness to our life by taking our penalty. We've seen his glory in the resurrection. That he rose from the dead. That Jesus was greater than death. Jesus reveals the glory of God to us. And we, when we read of it, we get a picture of that. We can see it. Friends, This is what God calls us to. Every day, you can get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. Did you realize that? You can't climb a mountain with him. You can see who he is. You can be amazed and astonished. Is that how you approach God's word? Does that astonish you and amaze you when you see a picture of who Jesus is? Or has it just become commonplace? Let Let me challenge you. When you pick up and read, consider the glory of Jesus that is in front of you. Be amazed. Look on that. John in his gospel tells us, and he gives us a picture of the fact that these disciples, after they saw this and had this experience of seeing Jesus, they were not the same. John uh, 
reflects that he, he says that we beheld his glory. Like he couldn't get over it. We beheld it. Second Peter 1 verse 16, uh, Peter says, For we did not follow clever myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Or you might say eyewitnesses of his glory. In other words, Peter's saying, listen, we're not making up stuff here. We're not following some myth that we made up. We are telling you that we saw the glory of Jesus. And we are giving our lives for that. They were not the same. They were suffering. They were being chased around for their lives. But because they saw the glory of God, Peter's saying, no, this is what it's all about. It's about Him. And seeing the real Jesus, the the glory of who He is, changes you. And you cannot stay the same. It moves you to live for Him, to endure whatever, to be with Him in the end. Romans 8, 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Is that how you see your trials and your sufferings? Hey, I'm willing to to walk through these things with Jesus, knowing that it will all be worth it. They're not even worth comparing to what I get in the end when I hold to Him and when my faith endures and I don't leave holding to Christ behind, trusting that He will get me through this and He will bring me to glory. This is how God wants us to see the trials in our life. as an opportunity to walk with Him and to hold Him close and to listen to Him and to look to Him in our need. It's an invitation to do that. So look on Jesus, the Son of God in His glory, and put your faith in Him and not in yourself. The glory of Jesus reminds us, why am I trusting in my own thinking, my own ways, my own desires. This is, God is glorious. He's the only one worth trusting in and living for. Not the things this world offers. And you can do that today. And Jesus alone is worthy of, of life. And you, no matter what you've done in your life, can choose to put your hope in the glory of who He is and not in anything else this world offers. Not in your own thoughts or ideas. Not in your own good works that would never be enough to make up for your sin. And you could put and decide to put your faith in this Jesus right now. Maybe he's calling you to himself and you feel it. Don't wait. Talk with me. Talk with someone afterward. Put your faith in Jesus alone. So we're called to look on the glory of who he is and give everything for him. Secondly, we see that we're called to listen in light of the glory of Jesus on this mountain, we're called to listen to the Son of God. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, and they were terrified. You can just kind of see this picture of Peter fumbling. Like, what, what do I do here? Like, Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah have been gone for like hundreds of years at this point, And he's like, what do I even do? Let's build some shelters. That makes a lot of sense, right? Well, let's just do something. Let's stay here for a while. As if they would need shelters. Like they just appeared. 
from heaven. Well, Peter wants to set these things up, and undoubtedly he had good intentions, right? These were three revered men of God. He's trying to show respect for them. But he's missing something here. First, he's missing the fact that Jesus is not like the other two. He's essentially saying Jesus is on their level. Let's set up three shelters. But we know that Jesus is not like Moses or Elijah. Moses was a great leader, yes. Elijah was a great prophet, yes. And Jesus was the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, because they had sin. They were fallen men. They couldn't save themselves. They were looking forward to the Savior who would come. They were looking forward to Jesus. And Peter was missing that. He wasn't quite there yet. He was equating them. And so we see Peter trying to just do something to to serve them, to help them, speaking, acting. Look at what God actually wanted him to do. Verse 7. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and brings clarity to Peter, to all of them who were terrified. A voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter wanted to speak and act. God wanted him to listen. Isn't that so often where we find ourselves? We want to speak, we want to act, we want to do something right now. God says, sit at my feet and listen to what I have said, am saying through my spirit, my word. Peter was like Mary... This, this reminds us of Mary and Martha, right? When, when Jesus, and if you know the story, Jesus went to a house, and there was two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they had good intentions, right? Martha had good intentions, and what does she do? Like Peter, she tries to get busy, straightening the house, getting food together, getting ready to serve him, just do something. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do something and try to serve him. But Mary knew what she needed was to, to hear from Jesus, to hear what he had to say. She knew that God could give her more than she could ever give him. That Jesus could give her more than she could ever give Jesus. Do you live that way? Do you think that? That God has more for you than you could ever do for him. You know, undoubtedly, there is a time to work for God. The Bible's clear. It gives us commands to serve Him, to obey Him, to live out our faith. But first, if we're going to do that with the right motive, with the right intentions, in a way that glorifies Him, we have to hear from Him first. We have to know what He says He wants us to do. We have to love Him so that we're doing it for Him and not for ourselves. We have to hear from God if we're going to serve Him in the way He calls us to. We have to listen to Him. If you want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. Listen to what He has said, who He's shown Himself to be. Pay attention to what He says. And the psalmist recognized the power of God's Word to give life. Psalm 119 verse 25 says this, My life is down in the dust Give me life 
through your word. The psalmist knew he got life from God when he listened to God's word. And here we see that Jesus, the revealed word of God in the flesh, gives life to all who will listen to him. And that's why God says, this is my son, listen to him. And here's what he says. Jesus speaks, and anytime he speaks, he's essentially saying this, come to me. That's his message, come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. John 6, 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus will welcome you if you will come to him. He won't turn you away. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Do you see this? Jesus speaking to us and saying, listen to me, come to me. Easy enough, right? Not so easy. In a world that's running, running, running all the time. A million thoughts running through our heads. A million ideas about what we should do or how we should live. And Jesus says, stop and come to me. And as we come to Jesus and listen to his words, he gives life. Do you feel like life is lacking from your life? The Bible tells us, it makes clear, Jesus, through his words, give life. He gives eternal life. He gives new life. When we were dead in sin, he makes us alive in him. He gives us abundant life that endures all things and hopes all things. And the transfiguration is meant to remind us exactly what God says to these three disciples. That this Jesus, his beloved son, is here for us, speaking. And we are called to listen to him. Are you listening to Jesus or are you listening to someone else? Something else. The voice in your head. Listen to Jesus. Third, the transfiguration teaches us we must learn. We must learn. We're called to learn about what the coming of Jesus and the revealing of Jesus and his glory really means. As the disciples come down the mountain, we keep reading that they had questions. Understandably so. This hasn't happened before in their life. What just happened? Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Could you imagine seeing Jesus and Elijah and Moses and all the, all the people around you know who these people are and they haven't seen them for hundreds of years. Hey guys, we just saw Elijah and Moses with Jesus. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Can you imagine trying to keep that in? Some of us aren't very good secret keepers. Let's be honest. And they had to be secret keepers. Why? Jesus knew they didn't have the full picture yet. They had much to learn about what had happened and what it all meant. 
And we know this because of the questions they started asking. The first question, verse 10, they kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. That's pretty big. For those of us who know what it means to be a Christian, it's all hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, showing that he had the power over sin and death, that he could forgive sins, and he could give eternal life to everyone who believes in him. And they didn't even know what that even meant at this point. Probably good they didn't tell everybody. They might mislead them. And they didn't understand that Jesus had to be the suffering Savior who would rise from the dead for them because their sin required it. And that he could demonstrate the power of God. They had to learn this. Secondly, verse 11, Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they have just seen Elijah on this mountain. So they're thinking back to the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 4, there was a prophecy that Elijah, the prophet, would come before the day of the Lord. In other words, before the the Savior would come and make all things new. And so the presence of Elijah, obviously, it's like, well, is this being fulfilled here? What's, What's going on? Why did that have to happen? And Jesus answers them in a kind of a curious way. He says, Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? He's like, you want to talk about Elijah? I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about why the Son of Man has to come and suffer, because they're not even thinking about that. They're they're over here thinking about glorious things with Elijah and Jesus and Moses, and Jesus redirects their thinking to his suffering. Why? Because the same scriptures that predicted the coming of Elijah prior to the day of the Lord predicted a suffering Messiah, and the Jewish people were missing that. And we know that. They they ended up crucifying Jesus. And they missed the fact that he would have to suffer. Isaiah, the suffering servant, right? And here Jesus is opening their eyes to a fuller picture of what he came to do. But then he goes back to Elijah, verse 13, But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. He's not talking about what they just saw on the mountain of Elijah. Matthew 17 makes clear that the Elijah that was predicted in Malachi 4 to come was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the prophet in the form of Elijah, or in the the mold of Elijah, like Elijah, who would come before the Savior would come. And he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And the disciples, we see here, they had a lot to learn still, didn't they? They are still left with a lot of questions. They didn't fully understand that all the law and the prophets from Moses and Elijah and all the other leaders was pointing forward to Jesus. They didn't understand that he was the fulfillment of all those things yet. We know they will after he is resurrected and he walks with them on the Emmaus road. And he tells them, and he, all, all these things are about me. When you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, read it with that in mind. This is about Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all these things. He is the answer to all we have looked for for all time. They don't understand the suffering he's going to face when he's arrested and crucified. Undoubtedly, in their minds, they're thinking, what does all this mean for us? What do we do now? And isn't that really the question for you and I today? We can sit here and read about the transfiguration of Jesus, which happened 2,000 years ago. 
And we believe it really happened. The Bible is factual and records actual events and real people were changed by these real events. But we can sit here today and read about this and think, well, what does this mean for me? And that's really where, where God wants to meet us. And we, when we ask ourselves that question, who is this God? What does this mean about who God is, about who Jesus is, and what He's doing in my life and in the world? The glory of His transfiguration, the glory of His incarnation coming as a man, the glory of His resurrection rising from the dead. What does all this mean for me in my questions of life? But first we need to realize, like the disciples, God doesn't expect for you to have all the answers. Life on earth is a life under God that is learning continually, always. That's what God calls you to. When you become a Christian, it's not that you just have it all figured out and that all your sin is gone and, and you know everything now. No, it's a life committed to sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him learning about what he says about where you are in your life, learning about the way you see others, learning about your relationships and what God has for you in those relationships. God is not calling you to have all the answers, but he's calling you to a journey of being willing to learn from him. And that starts with faith, a commitment to him to do that, a turning from your sin and your own understanding to believing that Jesus is, has a greater understanding of who you are and what you need. And learning from him and of him through his word, understanding what he's doing in this world. But there is one difference that we see between us and the disciples in this passage. Jesus told his disciples, don't tell anyone what you've seen here. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus' command to you is tell everyone. Don't wait, because you know who Jesus is. You've seen it. You have the full picture that he is what every person from all time needs in their life. He is the only one who can forgive sins and give eternal life. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he alone holds a secret over sin and death. He's conquered the grave. And that in and of itself is plenty enough for God to use to change everyone's life. Jesus has the power to change everything about your life. It's a matter of if you believe that or not. And you are willing to tell others about it because you believe it, and you've seen it, and you know it. A British preacher, Mark Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorites, we watched a documentary on him on our elder retreat. Call us a theology nerd. All right. Uh, but I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. encourage you to read. Listen to him. He has the best accent. Uh, he's from, from England, from Wales. All right. So anyways, he said it well. The Son of God became man that the children of men might become children of God. And that's what we see in the transfiguration. Jesus, the Son of God, coming as a man and revealing who God is so that men might become children of God and that He has the power to do that in our life. Jesus Christ is the glory of God made flesh. 
And so he took three disciples up a mountain for a glimpse of that glory, and he wants you and I today to consider the glory of who he is, of what he did, what he's doing even now in the world, that he is alive. Jesus Christ is alive 2,000 years after this, right now, reigning from heaven, changing lives. Consider the glory of that. Consider, why do I not walk with this living God? And he wants to take you and I, ultimately, to be with him in perfect glory forever. That's his goal. Will you follow him to that glory? Will you trust him to bring you there? May we all determine to behold and look on Jesus, seeking more of his glory today and forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this picture, this clear unveiling of Jesus so that we might know Jesus was no ordinary man. Father, you sent him to bring us to you. That we might know you and love you and find you as all satisfying and glorious even in the midst of our struggles. That we might find joy in your presence because of the glory of who you are that would overshadow anything else in our life, anything we're struggling with. Undoubtedly hard. It's not easy. But we know, Father, that when we see your glory, all things are possible. And we have hope. Lord, remind us of this truth today, every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.